Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 207. I have a guest for you today. This is her fourth time on the Warrior School podcast. She's the queen of strategy. That's right. Libby Westcombe joins me again. I just love having her on. Lib and I, we're so similar. Uh, We're similar in our worldviews, our belief systems, our practices, our approach in our work. Uh, And today we're talking about the importance of a well-balanced exercise program. So one of the hardest things when it comes to training is knowing what to do. But what's even harder is knowing how to approach it, how to fit it all in, in a balanced and supportive way. So I pulled Lib in to talk about the importance of a well-balanced exercise program and how you can approach your training in a way that works for you and your life. So what do we talk about? We talk about uh, well, what is a well-balanced exercise program, uh, how to incorporate strength, cardio and HIIT work into your training, the importance of aerobic conditioning, so aka zone two work, the role of uh, cardio in promoting muscle growth, the importance of speed and power training for women over 40, uh, how much exercise do we actually need to do for health and results, the minimum effective dose to still get benefits. And we kind of tie it all together at the end, talking about one of my favorite topics is how do I fit it all together? (laughs) How do I plan it into my week? in a really balanced and supportive way. I love talking to Lib. I could talk to her for hours uh, and I could talk to her every week on the podcast. So I hope you find this conversation today really helpful when it comes to planning your training. Okay, Warrior, enjoy this delicious conversation with the queen of strategy, Libby Westcombe. Yeah, anyways, I think we're on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about it. But yes, I relate Libby Westcombe. Libby Westcombe, this is your, I haven't forgot to look up the number, but I think it's five or six time. Yeah, so exciting. Thank you for having me back. It's always fun. I love it. (laughs) I love talking to you. And we're going to have, well, we always have an epic conversation and we've got another one lined up for you today. Uh, it might it might create a little bit of friction with some of you. We're going to go a little controversial. We might say some things that upset you, but have a snack, have yeah. a pause, go for a yeah, walk. You're already so you don't stress. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just head out for a walk and just have a think about it. Uh, So, Libby, you just did your last action kit on integrating. It was a workshop. 
I thought it was an action kit. Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's just, so we do action kit one month and then workshop the next month, but same, same. Okay. <laughs> just don't like, where's the action kit? My member is listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, what is Amy talking about? They go searching. <laughs> okay. So it was a workshop. It would be a rad action kit though. It would. Yeah. I should turn it into one. You should. Uh, actually, I have a question for you. With If um, through your monthly fuel, when they become members, do they get access to all of the old action kits? So they get access to all the old workshops, which is the alternating months. But with the action kits, there's a little bit of a plan there. So they get action, they get access to the current one. So if they sign up this month, they'll get access to the July, whatever the latest one is. And then they'll get obviously get access each month. But every month that they're a member, they can request a previous one for free. So it kind of gives that incentive to obviously stick around because my membership's awesome and they should, but also not to become like, I call it like kit collecting or workshop collecting or become overwhelmed because they just like want all this information. So it's like, you know, you got to actually implement and then you can request the next one if you're, so yeah, that's my strategy. <laughs> oh, I love that. You are, that's how I should have introduced you. Actually, I was just thinking before when I was getting my teas and my waters ready uh, and thinking about our podcast, I was like, I'm going to introduce Libby as the queen of strategy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Make it make sense. Anything. I'm like, it has to make sense. Let's make it a strategy. You know what? I actually love how you have, have approached that with your business. I think that's really clever because uh, a lot of the women that we like to work with, they love to consume. Now, there's nothing wrong with consumption. Education is amazing, uh, but they like to overconsume and overconsumption, like you just said, turns to overwhelm and often will turn into inaction. Uh, and I guess that kind of really ties into a little bit what we're going to talk about today, because I want to talk about how do we integrate everything together? Uh, this strength stuff, this cardio stuff, this hit stuff. I feel like just in the last year or so with a lot of uh, women, you, you know, doing really powerful work in female physiology. But what I'm finding a lot of women are struggling with is they're getting recommended to do all of this stuff, but they don't know actually how to approach it and why they're doing it. You know, so they know, yeah. I think women know now that they've got a strength train. It's important for them. Uh, we've spoken about that on the podcast many a times. And, but now they're getting told uh, that they need to do like cardiovascular stuff, zone two work, and then jumping and then hit work. And they're just like, okay, how do I fit it all into the week? So is it cool with you if we talk about integrating it together, the, the importance of like a well-balanced exercise program? Yeah, for sure. Love it. Great topic. <laughs> it's a great topic. Okay. Well, where should we start? Okay. Let's start with this idea of a balanced exercise program you know what does yeah. that what does that mean to you how would you explain that to women um so I think balance for me basically means if you're looking at the big picture in terms of health 
So obviously you can get, you can have certain times in your life where you might be a particular athlete or you might be training for a particular thing and your balance will skew because you have to focus more on one particular thing. Um, For the majority of the women that I work with, they do want to be balanced. They put a very high emphasis on health and I'm sure it's the same for you. Um, And they put a high emphasis on things like longevity and being, you know, not just like, they're not necessarily like one particular athlete. So they might not be like power lifters or figure athletes or whatever, like there's, there's occasional ones. So I think to me, balance would be taking off your biases and looking at what you're doing through the glasses of it, what is the healthiest. And then obviously then you have to go into the research and you have to come at the research with a open mind. You know, you have to realize that some people online are going to be biased because they might be selling a particular thing. So you have to make sure that you're, you know, even though you respect these people, you have to also look at what they're selling. Are they selling one thing? Are they selling endurance training? Is that their marketing angle and everything? Or are they sell, you know what I mean? So that's where we also want to make sure we're careful with what we're consuming online in terms of just make sure that you know are they coming from that health first approach if that's what you're after um but yeah i think that's always the best way to look at things even with nutrition is just you know everyone has their you know the carnivore and the vegans and all this kind of stuff so if you really do take off the biases and you just look at it from a health first perspective when it comes to training i would say the literature clearly shows us that we do need to have that balance of muscle, which is insanely healthy because we need it, especially as women, as we get older and it has so many benefits, but then we also do need to do the cardiovascular side of things. Um, And then there's also the other things that tag along with things like being powerful and explosive as we age, because we do lose that faster than we lose muscle mass, interestingly enough. So there's, there's those, you know, there's that element of what's the healthiest way to train. Mm, yeah. What comes up for me when you talk about that is just really getting clear on like your your why. Like why are we doing this? Really? Why are we like why are we training? Why do we want to focus on our food? Yes, for a lot of women there is like a body composition piece to that, which is totally cool, but we're doing it because we want to feel great. We want to have energy. We want to be healthy. We don't want to get sick and die and be in pain. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think sometimes, some, as I said, sometimes in your life, that will become more your priority. And then other times you might bias something more towards, like, let's say you have a deficiency in you're not very strong. So you don't have much muscle. You probably would want to bias your training more towards that. Um, but then overall, you want to look at that big picture still and always bring it back to that if it's important to you. Um, yeah, I love that, Libby. The way that we, uh, I was taught uh, by my coach about that was that you can be a generalist and a specialist. And so uh, I was a specialist in Olympic weightlifting for a long time. But I would say more so now that I take a very generalist approach to my training. It's much more balanced. And yeah. I think I think I'd love to talk about, you know, with women, uh, and we could we could give a couple of different examples because I know some of the women that you work with are a little further along in their journey. They've got quite a strong foundation. They're pretty good with their energy and they really want to push into this performance uh side of things. But then I know there are some women that you do work with that don't have as strong of a foundation 
and, you know, maybe need a lot more leadership around the food and energy piece. But I'm interested to know, you know, if we think about it from that lens of finding balance and wanting to be healthy and really wanting to take this generalist approach, what what happens if like a woman hasn't trained for a long time, she's really low on energy, uh, maybe she is under-muscled, would you take a little bit of a, I guess, a focused approach before you spread out into that generalist approach? For example, would you focus on doing a lot of strength training initially and then potentially bring in cardio and hit work or would you focus on building her aerobic base first and that is kind of the focus and then bring in other elements to create a little bit more balance or would you come at it straight away and try and balance it out the best that you could to meet her where she was at yeah um I would personally probably just start with the lower end where you're doing like I would definitely increase the aerobic base that's really important to me personally I know a lot of people go straight to the strength training but without the aerobic base, this is where we have these issues that people consider things like exercise intolerance or they just can't recover. They have a lot of fatigue after they train and it takes longer to get to the point where they can handle the strength training. Whereas if you just added in a little bit of the aerobic training, that slow, low intensity, steady state, just a small amount, that really does make a difference to them being able to actually build muscle and handle the strength training. And increase their oxygen consumption and also the way that their body uses oxygen, which is basically like the, the base or the foundation of everything. We have to be able to actually use the oxygen properly. And when someone is having these issues like exercise intolerance and that their body is just not that good at using oxygen to produce energy. So that's what the aerobic base really, really helps. It builds um, better metabolic efficiency. Um, it enhances your body's ability to use fats and carbohydrates, both as a source of energy. So that's what people call metabolic flexibility. It's like a fancy word, but basically your body just needs to become better at using these energy sources, knowing when to use them. So when you have that aerobic base, that is kind of like laying the foundation, in my opinion, um, along with some strength training, but sometimes it has to start with body weight training only. It might have to just start with short micro strength training sessions, as I call them, where it's just literally like maybe one compound movement, one accessory, and it's a 15 minute session because they can't handle more than that. And then as they build these two things together, that obviously everything increases. And then you, eventually you get to that point where you can handle more. So you can do things like sprinting. You can do things like even doing a little bit more of those zone three, zone four type, you know, longer intervals, that type of thing, which people like to poo-poo that, but it's not bad. It's just all about context. Yeah. Again, it's like there, there's was a message brought out about, yeah, like stay out of the middle. Most of the time, don't, don't be in the middle and do it maybe six days a week and then not strength train at all. And so this is where like, come on, we're intelligent women, (laughs) but I know, I know that I know that we're tired and we're overwhelmed and this is why we have these conversations and hopefully we can create some clarity uh, and help you with your training plan uh, today. Okay, so I'm interested to know how you help someone build their aerobic base, okay? And now this could be, like you said, maybe you are a specialist in a certain area. So we could take like powerlifting, weightlifting, bodybuilding, now we don't do a lot of cardio. Yeah, I can tell you doing complexes in Olympic weightlifting is quite cardiovascular, but yeah. it's not the same as what you're talking about, this low end building your aerobic base. So 
I think this is relevant for someone who's a specialist and maybe doesn't do a lot of uh, aerobic style of training. Also for a woman who maybe isn't training and doesn't know where to start and has some energy problems and she probably needs to start building that aerobic base. Can you talk about, okay, well, what does that mean? How would we do it? Where do we start? What do we do? Sure. So um, when it comes to training, like in terms of cardio, not weight training, we generally have like five zones. So the zone one would be that 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate. So people always overthink this, but if you're just starting out, just do the simple 220 minus your age, just as a guide. Like that's good enough, right? Just because it's just like when we're setting our calories, we just need a starting point. So use that as a guide. And then you want to take 50 to 60% of that and whatever your heart rate's sitting at, that would be more like your walking range. Um, now for some people who are very sedentary, very out of shape, they might even get into zone two with walking, which is great. It's a great place to start, but I do recommend kind of just checking the heart rate, um, in terms of, even if you don't use the heart rate monitor, you can check things like, how's your breathing? Are you able to, are you feeling a little bit like struggling more to breathe than if you were just talking like we are right now, but you can still nasal breathe. You can still keep your mouth closed. Can you still speak a 12 word sentence, right? Without stopping for having to take a breath. But over that you would be like, okay, I need to take a breath. So we don't want it to be too easy because then you're not going to get those particular benefits that come from zone two that you don't get from zone one, but you don't want to obviously be doing it too quickly, too soon if you're just starting out. So I would recommend starting with brisk walking. Like it's the best you know, a way to see whether or not that's going to get you into that zone too. And there's obviously like, people are like, oh, I like rules. I like things really set, but there's obviously like crossovers. Like I can go for a walk and around here, it's very hilly where I live. So some of it will be zone two and some of it will be zone one. And that's great. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, it has to all be like, people are so intense with these rules, but just like experiment with walking and see how you go, because you might be able to get like 20 minutes of that might be in zone two for you. Um, so yeah, like the benefits of zone one are very clear as well. Like it's walking, it's um, it's light intensity. It's very, very good for recovery. And then obviously like as humans, we're supposed to be, we're not supposed to be sedentary. So that's just like, that should just be like a, a thing that you do regardless. It's not even training. So that's kind of that zone one. It helps you recover from the intense workouts and all that as well. Can now, we talk about, two- sorry to interrupt you. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, uh, just... Just this idea of moving, like the body is meant to move, like we're meant to be walking. Some people just, you know, I think it's been like for a long time now we hear this idea of like, yes, you're meant to walk 10,000 steps a day. Like are you, what's the research behind that? Are we really meant to walk 10,000 steps a day or is it, are we meant to just be out moving? Is it more about, is it a time-based thing? Like how do you approach this when you talk about walking with people? Yeah, it's interesting because the 10,000 steps a day is, is it actually came initially from a guy who was selling, I think it was like a Fitbit or something initially. And he was like, Ooh, this is obviously it's a marketing thing, right? So that's kind of where it initially started from. But the research does show us that upwards of like 8,000 steps a day has huge benefits. Like I'm talking massive in terms of um, longevity, like the the death of all cause, I think it goes down by a huge amount if you're just walking each day like that, that much um, 
around 8,000 steps. Of course, I would say it's not like something that you have to set in stone. The 10,000 steps, I don't give my clients across the board 10,000 step targets. I give them targets based on where they're at. Some of them, if someone's in like a muscle building phase, they might just be doing 8,000 steps a day and that's fine. If someone's in like a fat loss phase, they might need to move more. So it's very individualized, but overall, yes, um, it's like, it should be like ABC of adults activity. It should be just walk more. Yeah. And that's where, you know, for maybe some people that haven't trained for a long time that have some energy problems, would that be kind of step A, like get out and walk? Yeah, hundred percent. Like get out and walk and do breathe, do breath work while you're walking. Um, in my, like I've given out a few free guides before and I give you like, you know, how many seconds you should breathe in and how many seconds you should hold and then how many seconds you should breathe out. And I often get people saying it's really hard for me when I'm walking, it's adding all this pressure. But the thing about that is it's actually supposed to be kind of hard. You're supposed to have what is called um, air hunger. I don't remember the name of the guy, but he wrote the oxygen advantage book. Um, he talks about air hunger and it's an, he's an awesome guy. Um, so that's an awesome book to read as well. You're not supposed to just like, if you're doing it, if you're doing it to increase your energy and to be more um, as a base, to build a base, you, you're going to have to feel that little bit out of breath while you're walking and try and increase that air hunger where you're like, I can hold for longer now without needing to take that immediate breath in. That would be an excellent first step before you go into zone two. If you're just starting out, obviously start with very small, like two seconds, three second holds. And because you're doing this while you're walking, it's, it's hard. So it's going to add that element of like, this is actually exercise. It's not just a leisure walk. Of course you should do both. But if that's where you're starting out in terms of building your aerobic base, you need to do more than just like a super slow leisure walk. So that's a good starting point, I would say. Yeah. For me, you know, I think about it a couple of different ways. One, it's keeping a small promise to yourself. Like if you struggle to even go out, get yourself Mm. out for a walk this journey yeah. is going to be really hard <laughs> for you. Uh, it's got to be the first thing. And look, I've worked with women where we could only start with 10 minutes and then, mm. you know, and we built up slowly from there. We're not, Libby and I aren't talking about go and smash out 10,000 steps and walk an hour a day. Like if it's for five minutes or a block, it's about keeping the promise to yourself that you do what you're, that you say that you're going to do. And then you can slowly start building in a few breathing activities. Like maybe just do it for half of your walk if you're finding it really unpleasant. Like there are so many strategies around it. The mind will just go from like zero to a hundred. And it just like, it doesn't work like that. We've got to break it down. And I guess that's why, you know, your work is so powerful and, you know, mine and Kitty and Leela, everyone in this space doing this work is that's what we really help you do. It's not so much about like the program or the meal plan. It's like helping you strategize and adjust and adapt based on where you're at. And I think that's the most powerful thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also looking at it from the from the viewpoint of not everything has to be easy. Like I posted on my Instagram today and I was like, why are we making hard a problem? Because we I find that in this day and age, particularly like in that real wellness, holistic space, it's like I get it. Like women need to be kinder to themselves. We need to be more compassionate. But that it doesn't it's not separate things like we can be compassionate with ourselves 
kind to ourselves, love our body, love where we're at, appreciate everything we've been through and yet still do the hard things because we actually care about our future self. Like I actually like name my future self when I'm struggling with something. I'm like my future self, you know, Libby 4.0, whatever it is, is going to be like so proud of you that you did this. Like it's, we, we can't just be so focused on you know, that feeling that we're getting of hardness. So this or that, but like, sometimes you also want to look at your future self and be like, they're going to actually appreciate this. Like, I'm going to sit there when I'm 65 years old and be like, you were such a boss for doing that leading up to, you know? So I think it's important as well to understand that there's different types of hard. And obviously there's, if we're coming with the right motives, like we're literally doing this to benefit our health. We're doing this for those reasons. That's one thing. But if you're coming at it from, Hey, you know, you're, beating yourself down you're all that kind of stuff that's obviously going to not really get you any get you very far because you're going to probably burn out on that but yeah like check your motives for doing something and even if it's hard if you're in if they're in the right place and you like you said before what's your why if your why is stable and steady and you're doing this then if it's hard that's okay that doesn't have to be a problem we can deal with hard yeah you're an and girl like me yeah you can you can be this and this yeah you could do this and you could do this yeah I'm a fan of hard and look I believe I want to try and get as much energy into my body so I can do as many hard things in my life as I possibly can (laughs) because why not we only got one yeah yeah. Okay. Well, let's um veer back on track. So we've gone through the walking and now we're moving into this zone two place. Why? Why zone two? Everyone's talking about zone two. Why do yeah. we do it? What does it look like? And how many times a week should we be doing it? Yeah, for sure. So I think as I said, zone one has some benefits, but zone two gives you very specific benefits that you don't get with necessarily with zone one. Again, there's like always a crossover. So it's not like set in stone, but um, basically when you're doing zone two, your body starts to really um, have to utilize oxygen better to produce energy, right? So you get that um, capacity built. So basically, even when you're not exercising, when you're just at home, your body has a better capacity and uses of ox- use of oxygen and also of fuel sources. So you become better at using fat when you need to and carbs when you need to. This shouldn't be something that we that we even think about. It should just be natural. Your body's like, okay, right now, you know, the other day I had to move like shitloads of boxes, and I'm like, thought to myself, I'm probably using a bit more carbs right now. But like, it shouldn't be something that we have that that we're doing purposely your body should be able to move in and out of using fat sometimes carbs sometimes and it should be flexible enough just to swap and that's where people have all these blood sugar issues and they can't you know handle carbs well and that so aerobic exercise in zone two particularly really helps with this um gives you better metabolic efficiency so it's just that overall swapping between fuel sources and that has that transfers over into your life very well obviously we've got your heart health so your heart's a muscle and in my opinion it's the most important muscle because you can't be doing bicep curls if you don't have a heart so like you've got to have a heart to do anything um and that zone two really really builds it strengthens your heart it lowers blood pressure it improves circulation all the things involving the heart delivering blood and oxygen to the rest of your body you know if someone has a lot of issues with swelling and they can't 
you know, they just have poor circulation issues. Everyone tries to jump on all these fancy things for it. Like, you know, go into a sauna, do like rebounding, do like gua sha. And they're great. They're fine. But nothing holds a candle to doing aerobic exercise. Like that's literally the best thing you can do for your long-term circulation and all that. So that's another thing. Um, But I think one of the biggest things that zone two really benefits or really does is that it helps to build more mitochondria in the cells. So, mitochondria is referred to as like the powerhouse of the cells because they're responsible for producing the energy that our cells need to function. And that energy is produced in the form of a molecule, which is called ATP. So when you do, when you work in a higher intensity than just zone one, which is zone two, your muscles require more energy while you're doing it. So your body actually responds by producing more mitochondria in your muscle cells. So in the actual muscle cells to meet this demand. And then overall, more mitochondria means a greater capacity to produce more energy, which is what we were just talking about. We want that. We want to be able to produce a lot of energy. We want to eat a lot of food, have that food turn into energy. And when you're doing zone two, you're actually boosting that. So, you know, you can, it's going to help your body produce more energy because you have more of these little mitochondria in your cells. So that's another reason for it. Um, it also, so that everyone always talks about like autophagy and longevity in that, but zone two training has been shown to boost cellular repair and health. Um, and that's like, you know, it helps stimulate autophagy, which is that cellular, basically that cellular cleanup process that helps clear out damaged cells and clear out damaged mitochondria and it regenerates them with new healthier ones. Um, so all that, you know, you're making new mitochondria, you obviously have some damaged ones, you, you know, it really helps clear that out. That's a big part of like the longevity side of zone two that everyone talks about, um, which I think is important, but it gets like away. So it gets so much focus sometimes from these longevity experts. Um, but yeah, those are like the main benefits. And with zone one, it does have its benefits and it does do it to an extent, but it doesn't provide the same level of stimulus to promote mitochondria biogenesis to that same extent that zone two training does. And I'm just going to add one more thing. People always carry on about like zone three, right? And they're like, well, what about zone three? And the thing is zone three does the, all those things. So zone three is just taking it a bit higher, right? So it's taking that intensity a bit more. And it's like maybe that between 75 to 85% of your heart rate. So you can continue it on. Like I could do a 5k run in zone three and that's probably like 20 something minutes, right? I could push it. It's not easy, but I could do it. And you feel really good after. Now it does do all those same things, but it has so much more stress. So you start to release more stress by byproducts from it. So the same with obviously hit and zone four, but those have extra benefits that zone three doesn't have. So you have your zone one, you have your zone two, which gives you all these benefits with very low stress response in the body. It's basically parasympathetic. So you're not even getting into the stressed fight or flight zone if you're doing it right. Then zone three gets a little more stress with it. So you have all those benefits, pretty much the same benefits, but you're getting stress response in your body with it. So that requires more recovery time. Mm -hmm. So you're basically costing your body. You're paying, you know, with your body's dollars more for that, for, you know, you let's say I want this water bottle. I want to buy it. Zone two, I can buy it for cheaper. Zone three, I can buy it for more expensive. I would do zone two, right? But then zone three is not bad as well. And if you're doing, if you're into getting into an endurance and that type of thing, you know, anything called like tempo runs, like I love it. I'll do it once every two weeks, maybe a good hard zone three is going bordering into that zone four, because I don't believe that anything should be demonized. And like, I can recover, like if you can recover, it's fine, but you don't want to be doing it too much because it will take away from your strength training gains and all that as well. Um, 
But yeah, that's how I like to explain the zone three and the zone two, because everyone's like, zone three is bad, zone two is good. And it's like, well, this is why. (laughs) But yeah, did that kind of make sense? It was uh, beautifully articulated. You always have such a cool, simple way of explaining things, Libby, that is really powerful. It's one of your superpowers. So it was, yeah, well explained. Okay, but I want to know how much should we be doing because I've read some experts and they say they say we should be doing zone two like four to five times a week yeah and then I've read some other stuff and it's like yeah like a couple of sessions is good and so I want to talk about yeah how you approach it what you found and then maybe let's talk about where we would start with it because you know if say you're going to tell me in a second, but for example, say you say the research says we should be doing it, you know, at least twice, but up to four can give us amazing benefits. Hearing four times and then hearing three strength sessions and then, you know, that can feel a little overwhelming. So let's maybe talk about how we might approach it. At the end of our conversation, we're going to put it all together. Like we're going to package it up and give you some examples around how you can put it all together. But yeah, what are what are you what do you say when it comes to how many times we should do zone two? Yeah. So if you look at like so you look at the research, you look at the worldwide health recommendations, you look at all of that, you can kind of put it together. And what I've kind of come to realize is that probably that 80 minute mark a week of zone two is good. That's like when we're talking like ideal for someone who's also into muscle building and into all of that. Obviously these people like um Peter Atia and other people who talk a lot about zone two, they're they're coming from that angle of doing more of that because they're really focused on the longevity benefits. Like that's probably his entire, that's that's his niche, right? So he is not probably as focused as, hey, I want to look really jacked. So if someone wants to look really jacked, you wouldn't necessarily want to be doing like four times of zone two because that's going to be taking away from the time you can put into muscle building. Um, And I do actually think that maybe they're a little bit too much on the cardio side of things and not as much around the muscle building things because then you have people like Dr. Gabrielle um, Lyon, I think her name is. She's very much into the muscle building, but she also does recommend the cardio, but she kind of more aligns with my recommendation. So she really does the research on building muscle and you know protein and why that's so important for us as women and longevity and all that. So you can look at all these different people, which I love to do. I like taking a bit from everyone and then being like, okay, so this is what my logic tells me. So I would say from what I've researched, that 80 minute mark is a good um, goal to aim for in terms of zone two training a week. Now that 10, that would be easier to put into two sessions because I would, I personally don't count like the warm up getting up to zone two. So that would be like a good 10 minutes to get me up there. So like maybe a 40 minute, two 40 minute sessions would be ideal. Obviously, if you can do one of those and then one hit session, you also get heaps of crossovers in terms of, um, there's so many crossovers with hit and zone two as well. Like a lot of the things we spoke about. Um, so if you want to be doing some of that hit and that explosive power and speed work, you could, I would probably say that you could get away with doing one of each. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk ideal, I think probably two is better than one, but you could always do three and four. Like I said, it doesn't cost that much on recovery. It costs a lot of time. Um, and you would want, you wouldn't want to take that time away from the other things that are important too. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Uh, And if you're just starting to layer in and build the foundation, 
Would you leave the sprinkles of hit and speed and power for a little while until you've got a good rhythm with your walking, your zone two stuff and your strength work? Yeah, I'd probably leave it out or I would just include very mild forms of like plyometrics and that, which like Dr. Stacey Sims is a big fan of for women, particularly older, over 40. Um, I would probably just do mild variations of that because we don't want to get into like hard sprinting, hard jumping and that right off the bat. So you could do those things, throw them into your strength training sessions, which I've been doing with some of my members and clients um, and maybe just leave the actual sprint training until you built that base and that foundation up first. Yeah. See, the thing that I find with some of the uh, the research and the people coming out talking about like the plyo and the sprint stuff is that a lot of women don't have a strong enough base to to do that. You know, I really yeah. truly believe that. Well, one, we have a they have an energy problem. We've got to get more energy in. Two, you've just got to spend the time building your aerobic base and building your strength, like. Like, I'm sure you know, if you're not strong, uh, jumping and running doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, and it can be dangerous. Like, you can get injured quite easily. So you do have to be careful with that side of things, um, especially something like sprinting. That's very hard on the joints. It's very um, – so I would never get someone straight off the bat to do that. If anything, I would get them on an airdyne or, like, an air bike and do a little bit of, like, build up even just 10 seconds, 20 seconds on there because it's so much better than, you know, going straight to the – ground sprinting. Yeah. So I think if you're listening and you're hearing all of this stuff and you're trying to think about how do I put it all into my plan, uh, that the, you know, the sprinting stuff in the style of like running and like the hardcore, like plyo stuff, uh, you really need a base built there before you start to do that. Because like Libby said, just the risk of like, injury like there's so much ankle stuff that comes up and knee stuff and like torn calf muscles and it's not it's not a fun time and so spend that time and create your plan around you know your food and eating enough and sleeping enough walking doing some zone twos and learning how to strength train properly then you can start to bring it in would you say lib yeah, I would definitely say that. And the thing as well is that so as women, we have actually less power and speed naturally than men. So it's it's often very hard for a woman to generate the speed that they need to generate in order for it to actually be considered a sprint. Um, so what I tend to see is if someone doesn't have much muscle on their body, because obviously muscle is what drives speed and power. So you need to build muscle first. Otherwise, you're not going to have any speed at all. But you can definitely have like muscle and strength without the speed. So if you get to a point where you have quite a bit of muscle and you're still feeling kind of slow, then that's that's probably when you could be like, OK, maybe I should introduce some speed and some power, like even something as simple as if you're getting to the point where you can do the weight technically, but you literally can't get the weight up to do it because you have to power the weight up. Like let's take something like a dumbbell press. I know a lot of women are like, but I can press the dumbbells. I can do a seated dumbbell press, but I just have to get my partner to put the weights up or I can, you know, stuff like that, where it's not functional because you, you have strength, but it's not functional strength. If it was functional strength, you'd be able to power those dumbbells up and then show us your real strength. So I'm very, like, I feel like if someone's at that point, I'm like, girl, you got to go do some speed work and some power work because that's just, it's not functional. There's a discrepancy there. You're not going to be able to utilize that strength in life if you can't even get the weights where you need them first. You know what I mean? That's just an example. 
but it could be anything, right? It could be like running quickly or turning quickly, like having to do something quickly. And then you injure yourself, even though you have all this muscle and you're strong. So I like to say that once you build that base of strength and power, then let's make it functional. Let's do more of the things that actually make it useful in life. But you've got to build it first because you're not going to have any power if you don't have any muscle because muscle drives power and speed, right? So we need that muscle behind us to actually generate the speed and then build the speed. So I think that 100%, I would say, that build that zone to build that aerobic base. The aerobic base just covers all the bases. The aerobic base makes you handle the strength training better. It makes you handle everything better. You're, you know, you recover so much better if you have an aerobic base. You don't take days and days to recover and stay sore. So build that, introduce the strength training at whatever level you're at, even if it's just body weight. But I say even if it's just body weight, but body weight stuff's hard. Like someone tagged me in their sissy squats the other day, which I have in my get jacked in 45 home version. And those things are hard. <laughs> like you can do some crazy, oh, you're like the queen of it. So you can do some crazy versions of body weight stuff and still get really strong. So it doesn't have to be just the weights, but um, build the strength, build the muscle and then go to the speed work a bit more. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just talk a bit about the strength and how you would um, integrate that into the plan. So like, uh, what do you recommend? What does the research say? Uh, yeah. What does that look like if we're building out our plan? Yeah. So the research says two days a week of strength building exercises. So that's pretty straightforward. And that's the minimum. Obviously, I like to see I am a big fan If someone is brand new. I, I am a big fan of promoting frequency over being optimal. So for the first however many months that you're you're not used to it yet, you don't your body's not responding that well, you're really, really sore. We need that frequency in order for our body to become accustomed to the new normal of, hey, this is a person, this is a body that lifts weights. So our body needs to become accustomed to that. So frequency is really important there. And I always prioritize frequency over being optimal. So they might not be able to lift, they might not be, be able to worry about progressive overload so much right away, but we're just focusing on frequency. So I would often say more than two times a week, even if it's like 20 minute sessions, shorter sessions, just to get that frequency and to get that adjustment going with your body. Like lifting weights is it's a stress and you're tearing your muscles. You're, you're needing to rebuild them. So frequency will help with that initially. So I would even go like up to three times a week if they can do that initially four times, even I, I'm not, I'm not someone who says like three times is good for beginners. I even like, let's spread these out and do it four times a week. Um, Yeah. It, you basically want to do what you can do to get your body accustomed to strength training so that you don't have these intolerance issues at first. Um, but yeah, the research shows us two times a week minimum. So I think that it's important to at least be hitting that. Yeah, I know that's what a lot of the guidelines say. Uh, and I know that's what some of the strength stuff says around, you know, at least twice. So you can hit your compound movements twice, like twice or two to four it actually says so um but yeah I'd agree with you Lib like I actually don't program twice I program at least three and most of my women are actually on four days uh a week and some that do the four on shorter sessions just due to like time and uh and I think that's what we have to think about as well like some of them actually three longer didn't suit them because it was taking them in order to do a proper program and prep your body and strength train properly. You know, it, could, it does take time to do that. And so, yeah, for some of them, it works better chopping it down into four shorter sessions. Again, it's about like, okay, what do we have to do to get it, to get it in? Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I like core sessions myself right now, core sessions of strength training, and they're not that long. I'm doing like five movements, possibly six sometimes if I include a core movement. Um, and I'm doing full body and I'm really loving it. Full body four sessions. It's like you can visit those muscles often. I feel like I'm getting good gains from it. Um, there's obviously a time and a place for split programs as well. Like when you're really honing in on the bodybuilding type thing, but yeah, I'm loving the full body four times a week. I feel like I'm just, I feel like my muscles are just on all the time. Like they're not forgetting anything. They're just there. Right. Cause you're just constantly using them. Yes, that's what we want. We want muscles that are on all the time. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah. Hello. You put your shirt on and you're busting out of it, and you just do like full body work. It's awesome. Yeah, all your all your jeans, and you just feel tight and just full <laughs> muscles. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I we're gonna say uh, we th- we recommend three. Would you say yeah. that you'd recommend three? Yeah. Okay. So we've got at least two zone twos uh, accumulating 80 minutes or, well, maybe you start a little bit lower, you know, depending on. This is like what I'm talking about, like um, optimal for like all those things I spoke about before. But if you're just starting out, you got to start with less like 20 minute sessions. Yes. Yeah. But we all want to be optimal in our life. Okay. So (laughs) those listening, you do want to be optimal. So we're trying to reach towards the optimal. It was so funny. Libby and I've been talking about this quite a bit through our socials and stuff. And we, we have both received messages saying, can you like lower your recommendations? Like, it seems like, like I made a post and it was a really around the bulk of what we're talking about today, the research, the Australian exercise guidelines. And it turns out to actually be doing something at least five to six days a week. And someone wrote to me being like, uh, this says this is actually five to six days, like not three. Can can it be less? And I was like, no, like we're meant to move that much. You're meant to be doing something for your body pretty much every day, at least a walk on, you know, that, that fifth or that sixth or seventh day. And Lib also, you got that as well over the last yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. I got like a voice message and she was basically saying this is that it makes, not that it makes her feel bad, but she's like, it makes me feel like it's not doable. It's not relatable for me. And like, I've gotten this a lot in the past as well. Like it's not, you need to be more relatable, blah, blah, blah. Like with, you know, some things. And I, like maybe with lifting or posting my weights, like they're really, really heavy. Like it's not relatable. It's like, Hey, but I worked my way up here. You're going to start with where you're at as well. So that's the first thing, like anything you do is better than not doing it at all. So of course that goes without saying, but like, we don't need to put that disclaimer with everything when we're talking about we're exercise professionals sharing with you the research and the science. And like, it's like I said in my, I think I wrote it on my story. Maybe like, it's like a sleep expert saying, Oh, that's okay. You only sleep five hours a week. You know, we can lower the minimum requirements. No, you need good seven to eight hours to be healthy like they're not doing that you know or someone with like vitamins like yeah you don't need to make you don't need to get retinol you don't need to get so much of that like it's like no you need so it's the same with training it's we're not trying to be harsh or it's just that we know that we know the research and we know exactly like what everything says in terms of what's optimal so that's why we share it (laughs) and another example it's funny like just so people can relate like I'll put, I'll post, post myself wearing something and someone will be like, where's that from? And then I'll tell them and then they'll get angry at me because it's too expensive for them. And it's like, you freaking asked me where it's from. And I told you, don't get angry at me because it's expensive. 
I bought it because I wanted it or whatever. Like it's just, it's like people are a bit entitled sometimes on, but that's a different topic, right? I digress. Um, But it's, yeah, I get it. Like it's, I feel the same way about it. Yeah. And like, I guess, you know, Lib and I are obviously, we're coming from this place of like, we've been in the industry for a really long time. Yeah. And so we have a lot of knowledge around it. We've been doing it for a long time. Uh, and and even, you know, Libby's work is training and coaching. So she's going to wear products that are good quality so she can train a lot and coach a lot. And I think something that comes up for me, which I was telling you, Lib, before we, ju- we pressed record, I was interviewing Alice, who's a good friend of mine, and it was all around nurturing your child's relationship with food. And there was a couple of things in the podcast that she said at, that had to do with nurturing our relationship with food, but I, I think we can use it for kind of what we're talking about. So one of the things that she spoke about was 80% of her energy and time goes into nurturing Hazel's relationship with food. So Hazel's now four. So for four years, 80% of her time and energy has gone into nurturing that relationship because she knows what a difference it will make for the next 10, 15, and 20 years. And for a child, it's the first five years of their life that makes the biggest difference. Now, when she said that, like I went away that night and I thought about it. And then the next uh, morning on my walk, I was like thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I I agree. I think 80% of our attention and focus needs to go into the thing that we want. And that can seem really scary and overwhelming for a lot of people, but really it's like our choice if we want to do that. So Alice said, you know, I've chosen to do that. I realize that it might not be feasible for everyone based on what's going on in their life, but she made that intentional choice because she was really clear on that vision and that relationship she wanted. Uh, And I think when it comes to our health and our training, I think we need to do that more, that we need to spend periods of time with 80% of our focus on a particular thing. So if your sleep is shit, 80% of your focus needs to be on making your sleep better. If you don't eat enough and you have energy problems, 80% of your focus needs to be on getting more energy in. Would you, uh, what, what do you think about that, Lib? (laughs) Yeah, I love that. It's, um, it's this obsession people have with like making everything convenient, like we spoke about, but I think that you kind of have to earn the convenience. You have to earn the ease with anything. You can't just expect to be good at something or you can't just expect your body to have all this muscle. You can't, you know, you have to earn it. And yeah, initially it takes, it takes that extra push, that extra focus, like you said. And um, sometimes that means, you know, training on the weekend if you have to like giving something else up like that's okay we can do that we're not being obsessive we're just focusing on it so that we can then have it become the part of our life that it is easier and it is more convenient like I don't stress about my training I'm just it's easy for me it's not easy in the sense that it doesn't I don't push hard but it's it's doesn't take up so much brain space anymore it just happens the same with my food the same with those types of things but yeah we've been at this for a long time and I can look back and I can see the times when I had to really like focus hard on it to get where I am today. So yeah, like earn the ease, earn the convenience. Don't expect things to be so, to just come or don't expect to get the same results with less effort initially. Yeah. Or 
like if less of the percentage of attention is going to be on the thing, you have to be okay that that it's, it's going to take a longer period of time. All right. So, and I think that's really important. I'm not saying that you have to put 80% of your attention on something. I'm saying that you probably need to, if you want to get better at that thing or make, make good progress in an efficient amount of time. But if you don't want to, that's totally cool. If you only want to put 50%, just know yeah. that that's going to cut down or add time that it's going to take for that thing to feel easier. Uh, so, yeah. for example, let's use your macro uh, course, right? So, if you just went at it hardcore and gave 80% of your attention to Libby's like course and like that's what you did for a period of time, I can guarantee you it'd feel way easier and it's going to come way naturally. Whereas if you kind of bought the course and then like, did one little thing and then didn't do it for a long time or it got caught like, and it just, you know, your, your attention wasn't there and your effort wasn't there. Well, that relationship with food and your energy is going to take a longer time to build. And so it's just being intentional with the choice and then being okay with the percentage of attention that you want to put into something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The second thing she spoke about, which I want to talk about because I like this, it's a bit controversial, which is what she said, uh, was that we as a society have tried to make, she was talking about children, convenient and work around us, work around this notion of us being busy, productive parents. Now, I flipped that the other the other night and I thought yeah actually as a society we've tried to make exercise and health convenient and to work around us and our busy I'm doing air quotation marks here uh our busy lives as busy people and where why how did we get there how did we get to this place of like wanting to make our health and training, and food, the most important things I believe in life are convenient. So it fits around our busy schedules. (laughs) So crazy, I know. And it's like an afterthought instead of being a priority where it should be. Like it's your health should not be an afterthought. Like self-care is all of that, and that should definitely not be an afterthought. Um, So, yeah, it's it's so true. (laughs) Yeah, I just liked it. I thought it was a cool way to frame it up and think about it. You know, when we think about making, you know, and we're just, again, I'm talking about small choices. I'm talking about going for a walk. If something comes into your mind around, I don't have time and I'm too busy, check yourself because where did this idea of you have to make that walk convenient or work it around, you know, you and your busyness. Like the walk should be the priority because the walk is going to move your body and give you energy. And secondary to that should be the work or the task or the thing that you're doing. I totally agree. And if it's something that's a priority for you right now, like I'm running this pull-up challenge in my membership at the moment and I'm trying, I was trying to help the girls pick something, pick a goal that is, obviously has an element of challenge in it but still doable like I was like if you can't even hang on the bar 
in six weeks time, you're not going to be busting out five pull-ups. So I think with goal setting as well, we tend to want to make it so easy and so convenient. That's one extreme, or we go to the opposite extreme. And this is where there lies this problem because people are either I'm doing a challenge and I'm going to the gym six days a week and I'm busting my ass, but then of course I'm burnt out on that. And then it goes to like nothing to wear oh, unless it's really easy and it fits in with my day. I can't do it. But I think with goals, there should be like this, um, kind of like this hierarchy almost of it needs to be it actually does need to be a bit of a challenge it can't be too easy otherwise it's not a goal it's not going to challenge you but then at the same time it can't be so overwhelming that you just it's too much so there's that you know finding that in between spot where and then you have to work for it you've got to actually make the time you've got to schedule it in your calendar you've got to actually go to the gym and and not just put it off as like you said as if it's like it's maybe going to happen if everything else in my day goes well, then I'll do it. And that's where a lot of people are right now. And it's sad. The same with something like meal prep, like someone was maybe busy on the weekends. They didn't get to meal prep. Well, you got to make time for it. You got to go and organize your food on Monday. You got to do it on Tuesday. You know, like it's not something you just say, oh, that's fine. I'll just eat takeout all week. It's the same with training. Do you know what? That one blows my mind still to this day. Like I've been doing this for 14 years and I still can't like, when someone says, like, I I didn't do it or I don't have the time with their on their weekends, and, like, I work six days a week mostly. Like, I work a lot. And, yes, I don't have a family. I don't have kids. But, you know, I had three days off the last week. And three days off, that's a lot of time. And so no, people normally have two days off. I get that they have children and sport and stuff. But I'm like, you can find two hours in your day on one day of those weekend days to do meal prep. Like it's the time is there. And yeah, that one just still gets me because I don't know. I've just never. We know the time time is there. Like it's not that they're doing something with their time. They're not feeding their kids 24 seven. They have time. Like the kids go to bed or like, it's just, yeah, it's priorities. Yeah. And you know what? Another one that gets me is that like I don't know what to cook like the recipe friction that people feel like research it get interested in it buy some new cookbooks try like like I don't I know you do recipes live and it they're so helpful for sure for women I and I I know it's a helpful tool but for me I'm just like just go and do it, like go and find, like, you know, it's your responsibility maybe just to do some research and find what you would like or your family, or there's so many recipes out there. You know, we don't need to be fed these things a lot of the time. I think we just need a little bit more energy into our bodies and to slow down and give ourselves the time to sit there to figure out the recipes. That's another one anyway, that blows my mind. Yeah. Or you can do what I always recommend and just do like a macro bowl. So just have your bulk, some bulk, nice, delicious tasting proteins and delicious tasting veggies and like rice or potatoes. And then you can do like the sky's the limit. You can create your own things. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, it bugs me as well. Yeah. It's, um, and I get it because I see it from the other side, you know, when you're tired and you're low on energy and there's a lot of mental load happening because you are, navigating yourself and your family. And there's a lot, I I totally understand, but I guess what I'm, where I'm coming from with that is, you know, we want to get you to this place where you can lead yourself powerfully. And that's where you want to get to. You know, I often talk about how my coach taught me 
how to train, like the processes, the methods, the standards, the qualities, how to rehab an injury. And so now I have that tool. And for the rest of my life, I know how to train. I know how to lead myself in that. And because I've spent over a decade building a strong food foundation, a lot of it just self-led through my own experimentation. I know how to do that. So I'm not saying that it's don't ask someone for a recipe. I'm just saying get to a place where you've got enough energy where you can lead yourself powerfully and make these powerful decisions for yourself in your own life when it comes to your health and your food and your training. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, there's not an excuse. If you don't have recipes, like find them. <laughs> it's such a it's, it's such a silly excuse. So yeah. Yeah. Join Libby's monthly fuel. She gives you lots of recipes every month. <laughs> All the recipes. Already tracked in thermometer. Easy. Look at that. Can't get any easier than that. Hey. Uh is there anything that you did we tie it all together? Did we did we tie it all together? Walking, two zone twos, three strength sessions. If you have the energy and you've got a good strength base, sprinkle in some hit work and some plyo work. Yeah. I think that what we didn't touch on is there are unique benefits to doing the high intensity as well which that's also important. Like if you, again, if you're at that level where you're like, okay, I want to become more powerful. I want to add more speed. Then there's definitely like unique benefits that you're not going to get just from strength training and just from zone two. Like um, obviously it really does help increase the metabolic rate. Like when you're pushing that high intensity um, it, cause it actually increases your metabolic rate for hours after the workout, which strength training does do a little bit as well, but a high intensity, a real high intensity, like 30 seconds, all out sprints, um, increases that post that EPOC, that post exercise oxygen consumption. So that just leads to greater calorie burn at rest. If you're after fat loss, definitely helps a little bit. Um, that insulin sensitivity as well. That's definitely something that, that, um, sprinting and that high intensity helps improve insulin sensitivity, which again, it helps the metabolic health. Um, and then I think for some of the women who are getting older, the reason why it's beneficial as well is because it increases that human growth hormone production naturally by your body, which we tend to lose that as we age. Like if you have a 20 year old or my daughter, she's 16, she's got so much of that natural going on, but we lose that. So um, when you do the hit, it can trigger that response in the body um, during those intervals and it triggers more human growth hormone release in the body. So, you know, that leads to things like stimulates more fat loss, particularly around that like belly region. Um, it makes muscle building easier when you're older, it's harder because we have less, we also have like the, um, muscle protein synthesis process slows down all of these things help. So it's, yeah. If you're ready and able and you're feeling good, like you don't even have to run. You can do it on, like I said, like an, I think an airdyne is awesome for women because you can generate power with your arms and your legs. Um, it's a great tool, but yeah, there's definitely benefits there as well that are different. Yeah. And once a week, twice a week. I would probably just do once a week. I mean, I don't personally even do twice a week and I'm pretty advanced in terms of my capacity but I just, it, it still wipes me out. It makes me tired. Um, 
I can do, like I said, sometimes I'll do more of like a tempo where the, it's those longer runs where that's more that zone three and zone four. And then I'll do like a really short hit sprint session that same week. But yeah, you can't do too much of it if it's real proper sprinting. Yeah. Real hit, real sit. What yeah. ain't real hit, Lib? Oh, classes and <laughs> hit classes. <laughs> They're fine. Like, I don't want to bash group exercise. I actually think that some women, some of my clients do just once a week for that community and it's fun and like, it's fine. That would be probably more that zone threes. So if you're doing that every single day, where's your actual strength training? Where's your actual power training? Where's your actual zone two? So those are the questions I'd be asking, but if you're sprinkling it in, then that's okay. But yeah, it's definitely not real hit. Even if they call it a hit class. If you're doing like jumping from rower to thrusters to burpees back to rower, you're not doing hit because you can't maintain that properly for that long. So, yeah, some like elite CrossFit athletes can get into that. They can recover quickly in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I also, you know, and I think it's all about context and, and the woman as well. I have a few women that they like to go and they'll do an F45 class because that's their community and she'll just do it once a week. And that's cool. Again, it's like this, there's other elements to training if it's a run running is another example like some women love to run they're part of a run group they like to run with their friends you know and that might be a 5k or a 10k and I say to them again it's not bad you know um kind of like the godfather of movement culture Ido Portal he always had this saying which was like uh there's no bad movement just lack of preparation and I love that and I carry that through the training stuff as well it's not bad. It's just, are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Are you doing your strength training? Like you just said, Lib, I, are you doing your walking? You know, if you're doing those hit classes six times a week and you're not doing any of that stuff and you're not eating enough, then that's a problem. <laughs> but yeah. And it's stressful on the body. It's releasing stress hormones. And we know that a lot of women already have plenty of that going on in their life. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So if we can, yeah, change the the strategy for the training that can help reduce some of the stress, because some of the other stresses, we can't as quickly create a plan or a strategy or get rid of them. They might take a bit longer, depending on your environment, maybe your work, maybe your certain relationship, raising small kids and not sleeping. Like those stresses are kind of there to stay for a while. And so the food and the training are really cool actually, because we can manipulate them really pretty easily, which is kind of really rad. Um, And so that's what, you kind of want to look at it that way as well. Like if you can't change some of your reality right now, you can actually change your food, your sleep, your sun exposure and your training. Yeah, exactly. Make it fit the current stressors. Yeah. Anything else that you want to chat about? Hmm. Well, okay. So I have a couple of questions for you, (laughs) if that's okay. Okay. Of course. Uh, what are you super interested in right now? Like, what are you nerding out on? I know they're doing pull-ups this month, but are you preparing for August's um, workshop yeah. or action kit? What are you? Yeah. yeah. What are you nerding out on? 
So the next one's actually going to be, it's interesting. It's going to be an action kit and it's going to be based around our monthly cycle, but it's with Libby's spin. So um, it's, I've called it, you know, it's basically optimizing body composition with your cycle. So what I've done previously is a fat loss kit, which is called the pro metabolic fat loss kit. And this is based off um, Dr. Campbell's work. So he basically showed that, you know, if you do a fat loss phase and then you take a break, you can kind of mitigate some of those fat loss hormonal disruptive benefits by taking the break and then you go back into it. So with this current, with this upcoming one, I'm basically going to cover the possibility of doing a fat loss phase two weeks on two weeks off. This is where I'm, my brain's at. Um, it's not even so much that you're going to go into a surplus or back to maintenance during that luteal phase. It's just that we're bumping the calories up to support the extra energy. So that's my kind of, because a lot of my women that I've worked with have really noticed that there's been less energy during that phase. They've obviously had extra hunger and cravings just because it's, it's just an energy, right? You burn more calories during that phase in general. So that's kind of where I'm going with the next action kit. And I'm also going to just do some cool things like what type of form, what type of nutrients does our body use the most of? I've been doing research on this at the four different phases. So during the, um, you know, when you're on your actual cycle, during the follicular phase, ovulation, and then luteal phase, like there's obviously, you know, just so we can add those nutrients in as well, if we're doing a fat loss phase to promote that overall health for a woman. So that's kind of where I'm coming at with that one. Um, because yeah, like it's, it's none of the like seed cycling or, you know, only train hard two weeks. It's none of that, but it's more like my spin on it, which I'm excited about. And then the next workshop is actually going to be done with a, a chick who, I know who's, she has this very, very cool, um, business where she gathers like all sorts of, um, groceries and ingredients from all the different, like local Australian farmers and that type of thing. And she, it's like a grocery delivery company with a spin. So she gives you, and then she also gives like, she breaks it down where it's from. So you can really learn to, you know, know more about the food you're eating, learn about, you know, your local farmers, support the sustainability of that instead of just going to Coles or Woolies or the big things. So I'm actually going to get her on and she's going to do a workshop. Nobody knows this yet, but by the time this comes out, it'll probably be. <laughs> um, she's going to do a workshop with my members explaining like what to look for when you go, like, how can you make it easy to also support sustainability in local farming and all that. So that's really cool. That's a totally different angle. I love that. It's an important angle, one that I'm really fascinated about. And it's really important for me as well, like that sustainability piece and where you get your produce from. And yeah, I'm anti, anti big, (laughs) anti big uh, supermarkets, anti big, a lot of things. Yeah. (laughs) I truly believe, you know, and I, I hope and believe that small business will be the future. And that's what often my business coaches talk about because they just work with small business. And yeah, for a long time, I've really hoped and I really believe that small business, well, obviously we're not going to take over, but will be the bright future. (laughs) More people will be aware, so buy from them. So therefore it will be more common, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. And your training, because your intention this year, was to get outside a lot more uh, and do your hiking and how's your training going? Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm doing, so I'm doing four days a week strength training. Um, I do include some like 
jumping and plyometrics and that kind of thing in those sessions. I do put them at the beginning after my warm up, and then I'm still doing zone two at the moment, just once a week. And I'm doing my sprint session. Sometimes I'll do, it's like a bigger macro plan. So sometimes I'll do two zone twos in a week. Then I'll do one zone three, like that, you know, what we just talked about. Um, but I'm spreading them out throughout the week. Um, and that's, I'm finding it's helping me a lot with things like just getting better at, cause climbing a mountain, for example, is just all uphill. So, you know, I'm, kind of steering my training and my even my lower body stuff to doing more unilateral work that type of thing where it's really going to transfer over nicely to those things because yeah I've been really enjoying the hiking and getting out and about um my partner has a tiktok account called outdoor living and he's gone like viral on a couple things and he's just posts all about his fishing and his so you know we love all that stuff too i get some features in there (laughs) which is cool um but yeah that's i just i'm more i'm keen to be more well-rounded this year and i guess in the future whereas last year i spent a good six to nine months doing like intense muscle building and i was talking to someone about it the other day and i was like it, it comes with its own its own stress like people think that only dieting is stressful but muscle building is really stressful too when you're that focused on it at my level where I have quite a bit of muscle already and I'm still trying to build more you know just forcing that food in and making yourself do that insane progressive overload really struggling to lift the heavier weights and um it's it's a stress all on its own so it's awesome and I've obviously maintained that muscle and I love it but yeah there's like a time and season for everything so Yeah. I love that Libby. There totally is. And I think any time that you like specialize in something or intensely focus, it can be a little stressful because it's intense. (laughs) And you need a recovery period after it, I think. Yeah. 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 We've both spoken before about this idea of it's okay to do challenges or sprints. Uh, You speak about it in terms of like the pregnancy analogy of like, that's a nine month like sprint or challenge. And I think that can be an also a really helpful way to think about things for women is like, it's okay to do these hard things for short amounts of time. And like you posted today, you know, let's embrace hard. Let's bring back hard. You know, again, we like, we just swung as a culture. Like it's just, it's crazy to watch kind of outside what happens with the trends. And so, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had this, the feminism movement, which was like, we can do everything all the time. And so then we did all of this stuff and then we got burnt out. And then we had the self-care swing, which was like, don't do anything, like take care of yourself, be kind to yourself. I'm not saying either one of those are wrong. I'm just saying like, we're middle people, you know, and Libya and Yes. Pendulum swingers uh, can feel fun at first, but then (laughs) it's not so fun. And I guess Libby and I, we just dedicate our life and our work to like being in the middle, like being, finding that balance. Balance, all those good words. (laughs) Those sexy words. (laughs) Sexy balance is sexy to anyone else. It's sexy to me, Libby, and being in the middle is sexy to me as well. Not saying that we can never swing. I'm not saying that. We can. We can go. Go for a swing. Go for a sprint. Be all in. Do something really hard. And then, yes, recover from that and come back. And But, yeah, anyway, <laughs> Libby, 
Libby Westcomb, thanks so much for your time, for your knowledge, for your energy. Uh, and I'm hoping that I get to see you when I come back in November. Oh, I, I think so. Is it for Kitty's wedding as well? Hopefully we'll be there. Yes. I, I'm going to come home pretty much for the whole of November again. Uh, and one of the reasons why will be for Kitty's wedding. I feel like I can't miss that. It would be like the party of the year. Can you imagine? I know. (laughs) Yeah, so hopefully you're there. She says that she's going to seat us all together on the same table, Leela, Libby, and me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we should definitely be there. We're traveling also like up Queensland later this year, so it'll all fit in. Yeah, come, come and we can um we can just dance, dance the night away in white. Can you believe yeah. that that's yeah. their dress code? <laughs> so I told Kitty the other day, yesterday, I was like, you know what, you're so funny because there's, so like when I get on TikTok, I have this other account that I just like watch all the TikTok trends and nothing related to health and fitness because it's like my downtime. And there's this trend going on at the moment where, um brides are getting angry because someone at their wedding wore too much white so you know how it's like this rule that people have and then everyone's like it's so disrespectful she was wearing half a white dress and well and they're and everyone's giving their two cents and they're it's just so funny to watch and then kitty's just gone and said everyone else wear white i'm wearing colors so i'm like i just informed her about the trend and that it was good that she was doing that because it was funny that is so funny libby uh kitty is also a zagger like us yeah. <laughs> she's not much yeah. of a zigger but I'd do the same I'd rock up there in the black dress <laughs> yeah. okay I mean the rules are just made up by someone just like you and me so we can just make our own rules yeah I read that where did I read that I read that in Sapiens he spoke a lot about that how we just made that. up all of these rules yeah. we just yeah. made them up yeah and there's how- a famous Steve Jobs quote as well isn't there about that like how he and he he did all these crazy inventions but it's just another human who made something up or invented something so why can't you yeah yeah it's just all made up and when you think of it that way you can just relax a little bit <laughs> okay Libby Westcomb I'll let you go what's today it's Friday there have a great yeah. Friday you as well have a great Thursday night <laughs> okay thank you Bye. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.